Everyone, this is another episode of That Record Got Me High. I'm your host, Rob Elba, on the West Coast, still trying to figure out the West Coast time zone because uh, I got confused and Mark's like, are we still doing this? I'm like, oh, Jesus, it's because uh, he's in. So what time? You're not Eastern time zone. What are you considered? Mountain or? Central. Central. Yeah. He's in Central. And then there's mountain and then there's Pacific. Pacific. I know, yeah. I know. Well, you know. <laughs> Two <right>. hours. <laughs> Two hours from you. But I'm really, uh, I'm really happy to, uh, uh, to welcome to this show. He's a uh, music producer, composer, musician, engineer. He's worked with uh, a ton. I was uh, Googling you a little, Mark, and you've worked with a diverse list of artists, like including the Flat Duo Jets and Glenn Branca, Marianne Faithful, R.E.M., and a slew of others. For many years, he was a partner at uh, a Piety Street recording studio in New Orleans. Now, a Piety, is Piety Street recording a thing at all now? Well, I mean... I have the, a lot of the gear is sitting beside me, and I'm still working oh, nice. with that. Uh, the space itself, Alex Ebert took over the space, and he does his work in there and lives there. Oh, okay, okay. So he's an LA, he's an LA guy. Oh, he is. <laughs> well, he, he used to. He grew up there. You know, he had a band. He had I Am Robot or something, and he had uh, Edward Sharp. Oh, the right, right. Zeros. Yeah, and, yeah. He does film scores, and he's now he's a philosopher. So you know, <laughs> really. <laughs> no, totally. All right. Well, maybe I think you get old enough. You're a philosopher. I think we all become philosophers eventually. Maybe. Oh yeah. Well, what can you do? <laughs> what can you do? All right. So I'm 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 excited and I'm nervous and and this all the way this all began, uh, Mark, with me, uh, you know, confused and then trying to get everything set up and flustered. It's really, I think it's a great metaphor for what we're talking about because people who listen to this show know I'm not a jazz guy. I've never, right. and it's not like I, I actively dislike it or hate it. I just felt like I never got it. And now listening to this uh, album that you picked and listening to it this week, I think I finally cracked the code of what, what my problem is. But uh, tell us first what, what we're talking about, what you picked to talk about. Well, there's uh, Archie Shep has been a tenor sax player and musician educator since the early 60s. And he lives in France now. And he still works, still gigging. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, so I heard this. I was in Los Angeles, in Laurel Canyon, in 1968. And the producer guy, one of the people I worked with at Elektra Records, gave me this record to listen to. 
And at that point, I was being groomed to be a singer-songwriter along with the whole slew of us, Jackson Brown being the most prominent kid in the on the block there with us. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying. Now I want to understand. I and this record not only got me high, but it changed my entire outlook on music. Right, because you, yeah, when when you had mentioned, oh, this is the one I want to do, and and you told me, Mark told me, I chose Fire Music as it's the record that took me away from being a singer songwriter into a composing. Now that's right. that's like really interesting. So this, yeah, this sort of changed your whole uh, trajectory, right, of of music and how you approach music. Yeah, it was this, and then there were these two cats that were hanging around from England that called the Incredible String Band. First girl I love. Time has come, I will sing this sad goodbye song When I was 17 I used to know you And they, they too started veering off into this episodic direction When the first song, the first Archie Shep song in this, Hambone It just blew me away Now I had heard jazz and like you I was, you know There were some things I could tell that were amazing I'd seen Thelonious Monk as a kid. I'd seen Mingus. Um, I listened to a lot of the big band singers. Uh, you know, I liked Ella Fitzgerald. I liked Louis, Louis Armstrong and all that. Stars shining bright above you. Night breezes seem to whisper. I love you birds singing in the sycamore tree but I was I was more like a rock and roll kid and so this record took me into another realm because I understood it in a way that I understood you know rock and roll and blues and R&B uh, it wasn't fussy it, there was nothing too intellectual about it it just kicked my butt instantly. And I loved Archie Shep's sound. And then I looked further into that, and this record actually led me to John Coltrane and all the other stuff. It wasn't the other way around. Right. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, all right. So released on Impulse Records in 1965, and uh, Archie Shep was like a saxophonist, I guess, mainly... Um, uh, which from uh, Fort Lauderdale originally I learned, which is interesting because that's where I'm, um, uh, you know, I just got out of 25 years. I was in uh, the Fort Lauderdale area, but um, escaping the Grand Wizard, were you? Yes, <laughs> I did it. I did it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, but he this is real. I mean, I guess it's considered avant-garde jazz, right? I mean, that's what I that's what um, people will. No, well, yeah, if, if at that point. There already there was a ton of actual avant-garde jazz. To me, this was not avant-garde jazz in the sense of free jazz. This was compositional, and that makes a huge difference. And a lot of people who got pegged with free jazz were were some of them were actually playing, just showing up and playing, which it always seemed absurd to me because I thought free jazz was more a statement about we're freeing ourselves from the tinkling ivories and the clubs and the economic system and just playing what we want. And it didn't mean just playing whatever 
it came along and without any preparation. So, oh, okay, uh, okay. You know, so I think that that's a basic misconception. People think free jazz just means go out there and and fart in a bucket, right? And that's and that's music, you know, and that's not the case really. <laughs> now today, you got like down south from you in La Jolla, Mark Dresser has a some amazing groups, and he's a bassist. And he spent years with Anthony Braxton, who also gets pegged with free jazz, but is a composer. You know, in some levels, Jazz is still kind of a dirty word, puts people in their place to a certain extent. But so much of the great music, you know, has come out of that tradition. And uh, best to spread the word, you know. Yeah. Well, this. All right. So, so Mark, here's the thing that I came up with in uh, in. Uh listening to this record and it's because occasionally people always it's funny once people know that you don't like jazz they'll try and make it they'll say oh well listen to this or listen they'll give you you stuff say listen to this here's here's my problem and this is totally me is i think i'm i'm kind of a, a control freak and i need things to be a little organized and stuff and sometimes when i listen to things like this yeah it's 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 interesting and it's cool and it's very free but to me i feel like it almost gives me anxiety in a way because it's too free and i don't know like i can't wrap my head around what's going on so i can't enjoy it it doesn't become and and i know there's so many people that can and and i almost was at times like i was i've been listening to it on like drives you know i've been uh, having long drives here and listening to it and i've been getting into it but i feel like there's still something in my brain that pushes it away that shuns it away because it's not organized you know there's not the verse chord you know even i love you know i I grew up like in rock and punk and i love i love people that that push against the boundaries but i still like the fact that there's some boundaries there and that they're they're pushing against them a little yeah well see to me coming out of the my music background is such that this seems very organized to me. It does. This okay. Well, that's, yeah. that's what so, I was I mean, going to ask you. It's the, level, it's the level and degree, whereas I can hear, like I listen to a lot of contemporary classical music, and sometimes I really don't get it. And so occasionally there's things that I don't get, but I try to just be open to whatever it is. And... Uh, you know, if you, I mean, I, you know, I, I listened to R.G. Shep and the Everly Brothers in the same, you know, it's right. the same thing to me. Yeah. It's yeah. just all, it's just all music kind of. And organizationally, there's still the drums do a certain thing with R.G. Shep. They, it's not much different than they did with the cramps. It's just, you know, it's just it has a different universe right and the harmonically very different than the cramps now the thing is having the music Archie Shep used like the start of Hambone is it sounds like a tone row it sounds like some Arnold Schoenberg or something
which was really weird for jazz or anything at that point. And to me, I was like, what the, what is that? You know why? And then they go into bed and then it's into this thing, but it's segmented. So to me, unlike some of the jazz where they would just start going and play for a half an hour, this was very, here's this part. It's eight bars long. Here's this part. And I could stay with it. Oh, okay. So, well, that was, yeah. All right. So here's, you know, so, you know, the whole nature of it, it's kind of hard. This is a, a music podcast. Normally we'll do a record and we'll go, all right, here's this song and listen. But obviously with this, what I did was I pulled parts from it and I just want to listen to it a little bit with you. And then we could talk a little about what it is we're hearing and everything, but let's, uh, that was, by the way, that was an excellent, uh, you doing the, <laughs> the imitation of the first song, Ambon. That was excellent. <laughs> you did. Well, you know, <laughs> if you can hear, what do they say? It's easy if you know how. I don't know. Right. Well, let's hear. Oh. Let's hear the <laughs> beginning of the record, the opening. Try a little bit of Hambo. Yeah, so there was that part you were just singing. All right, so so here's my first question, Mark. So this is not just, as you said, this isn't just guys getting in and just starting jamming and stuff. So there's sort of like, so does Archie Shep sort of give them a framework and, and they, they sort of say, okay, this is what we're going to do at, at the beginning part. And then we're going to do, as you said, maybe we'll do eight bars of this or whatever. And then it's sort of uh, some of what they're playing is sort of freed up in there. But but there is a, a plan to all this, right? Well, there, for instance, I wasn't at this gig and I've never seen the music. Right, this, right. But okay, so you'd say, okay, you got this. Here's the field. You work out at the drummer. Okay, drums and bass are going to go in eight bars. The the, uh, the this head's going to hit in. That was written down, Bo. Da, 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 da. Right, right. That's okay, okay. That's unwritten. And then that that ends. And I only made it two thirds of the way through to singing it for you. So right, right. I didn't get to the end <laughs> uh, of the head. But then, then they go into the da, 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 da. they go into another section, and then they go back to the head with the uh, drums and bass underneath it, and then they go into some playing. So it's a tradition in that sense. It's traditional jazz going back to the twenties, whereas you have a head, then people blow on it, then you go back to the head. So and you know, there's rock music can be like that too. Mostly not though. Right. 
you know, and uh, yeah. So let me play a little bit. I went a little further in because at some point it's it starts to like swing a little, and it's got that like jazz swing to it. Well, that's okay. Yeah, he plays. But I'll say this: the thing I also I loved about it, he does Duke Ellington, and he plays ancient music, i.e., now a hundred years old, and he has a tone and a feeling from that era while he's playing allegedly free and modern. Oh, and okay. I like I like that a lot too. Right. So a very uh a, a very individual sound. Yeah. By Archie Shep. Okay. So all right, yeah. So this isn't this is another part I pulled, like I said, where it starts to swing a little. Yeah, so so this uh, for me is more I could grab onto because the drummer and the bass player are obviously holding things down here, and then there right. the you got the the horns sort of playing you know over it and and sort of jamming around it all. Yeah, and it's it's almost like goes all the way back to like Fletcher Henderson, and then a lot of the big band writing, and then you know Mingus and even Stan Kenton. Even it's other to me. I I hear history. I can feel the lineage, just like I can go from the Leuven brothers to the Everly brothers. Oh, right. Back right. to the Stanleys. I can do this same routine on bluegrass. So that's the thing. If you spend your whole life doing music, you, you know, I mean, I could pick favorites. And why did we do this? I don't know, because I was obsessed with Archie Shep again six months ago when we first started talking about doing this. Oh, and, really? Really? Okay. Well, that's great. <laughs> I just gotten back and... Some of my friends were playing with him, and I was like, oh, God, I just want to go to France and play with Archie Shep, but then I never could pull it off. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, so at this time, so when you first discovered this, you're uh, so I imagine you're just someone that listens, th- that appreciates all different kinds of music. So you were already listening to, like, some jazz and, and to uh, different kinds of music. Yeah, but I was still, I was writing songs, and I was working for a record label and I was being a, the kid that went and, uh, you know, went to the hamburger hamlet and picked up food for people and uh, went out and picked people up at the airport and moved the microphones when people were too stoned to do it. Them, you know, and oh, all right, that, right. You know? so, yeah, I was one of the few people that elected records not on multiple substances. So it was, a, yeah. So I got to, I got to do a lot of stuff because I could. I wasn't were gonna get a, I wasn't going to get a DWI or right, you know, right. any of that. So anyway, uh, and but musically, I would say that my teachers at that time, and I call them teachers at Electra, like uh, Fraser Mohawk, Paul Rothschild, Fritz Richmond, all these people, 
they encouraged me to listen and listen and listen. And there were all kind of music going on around us all the time. So even though churning out popular music recordings, behind the scenes, it was different. Yeah, right. All right. So this handbone is, is a big, uh, you know, it, it's probably it, it's the longest thing on the record and it's a piece. So I just want to pay towards the end. Things get really frantic and sort of maybe right. avant- people can, would consider more uh, like avant garde. And I knew, uh, you know, there were people in uh, I just left uh, Miami, Florida, like there's um, Rad Bastard and his whole crew of like uh, right. noise guys. I played. I played with him. Once. Did you? Oh, of, of <laughs> no. course you did. Of course. you. I played. I played in a band. <laughs> There was a put-together group, and there were three different rodents in the band. There was Ratty Skurvix, Rat Bastard, and Weasel Walter, all in oh, one we, band. Uh, Weasel Walter, yeah, I know him yeah. too. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so yeah, this sounds like something that I might see at one of Rats like Noise Fest or something, a little bit. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Let's listen to a little <laughs> bit of the more handball. So what you were saying before is as crazy as this may sound to the untrained ear, there's a, a compositional element. There's that that main, that rhythm, that's that the sound, down, now, 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 that's going on yeah, through yeah. it. So and that's, yeah. putting the riff behind it. Right. So everyone's riffing behind it, and then their solo's going on. The drummer is now stretching out to where instead of just swinging and keeping time, he's putting the other polyrhythms in. Bass player's still holding it down. So, yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, I, and... I, so this song, this yeah, Hambone is incredible, and I and you know, I will say that we could have done this on the Allison Chains record with Rooster on it for all that. You know, we could have done this. <laughs> right. I have twenty records that we could have done. Right, right, and yeah. Archie and and the first George Jones record I ever heard, the first Merle record I ever heard. Okay, the, okay. You know, uh, yeah. et cetera. So you know, we're you know, it's just like there's so much music where do you begin? And some people don't get to this. Like, you know, you've maybe shut this part out of your life. There's enough music without this. You don't <laughs> need this. <laughs> it's true. I actually you read. You don't like it. <laughs> yeah. You don't like it. Don't worry about it. I know. I was, I was actually just reading just recently. You did an interview. I forget it was online, but it was, it was recent, very recently. It was this year. And yeah, you basically said that there's like 10,000 people out there making music, you know, new music. So there's plenty of stuff to listen to. But also, you just had a very um, 
I like the attitude you had uh, and which maybe this uh, listening to this and, and has sort of helped you sort of get out of the whole singer songwriter thing. Well, music can be almost anything, you know, and it, it should just be, you know, it should just be about the music, about making the music and uh, not the business of music and not all that, which is so, which is so ugly. And so like a counter to what music should be, which it should be something that gives people joy. Right. Right. Well, yeah, the music business, I never understood and I still don't. It's it's more like the fame business and they recycle the 18 to 23 year olds and then they throw them away afterwards and get some more. You know? Right, right, right. So it's just kind of boring and stupid, but that's the wheels of commerce turn. And there we are. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so uh, now we have uh, the second track on it is Los. How do how do you how are we pronouncing this? Los Olivados. Los Olivados. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit the opening of that. Yeah, this is all very uh, dramatic, right? And I noticed that there's a lot of uh, dynamics across this whole thing. I mean, there's uh, so I, much dynamics uh, yeah. going on. I think it's Spanish revolutionary music turned into what ch- is what Charlie Hayden got into later on. Petra Hayden lives in Los Angeles. If you get to see her, go see her. Okay, yeah. No, I, Amazing. I She did the whole, she did the Who Sell Out with nothing but her own vocals. Oh, that's right. That's right. I I saw some videos of that. I know you've deceived me. Now here's a surprise. I know that you have because there's magic in my eyes. I can see for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. Just an aside, but this is you can take, you know, this music, anything can turn into jazz. So, yeah, this is what I think this record is really significant because it predates many, many trends in black music. Uh, and the next song is uh, has poetry in it. Yeah, a lot of the music today, the, the kids I know that are making this crazy music that you can't, is it hip hop? Is it jazz? Is it funk? Is it R&B? Right. Is it poetry? Is it performance art? You don't know. It's just this big mishmash, and Archie kind of 
set the stage for this. Yeah, yeah, because it's like because a yeah, it's a spoken word piece, uh, basically with some uh, music background. But yeah, he was definitely very ahead of his time, uh, as you said, doing something like this. And uh, yeah, let's listen to a little of uh, Malcolm, Malcolm, Semper, Malcolm. A song is not what it seems. A tune, perhaps. Bird whistled while even America listened. We play, but we aren't always dumb. We are murdered in amphitheaters on the podium of the Audubon, the Earl. Philadelphia, 1945. Malcolm, my people, dear God, Malcolm. So I just have to say, this is like some brave shit for some guy to be just putting on a record in 1965, yes. right? Oh, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, especially it's a brave thing for Impulse, who was a major record label part of ABC, I think, putting out uh, jazz. And they sold millions of John Coltrane records, but they have dozens of things in their catalog that sold dozens. You know, Right, 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 right. <laughs> and... Uh, so, you know, yeah, but um, also, uh, you know, one thing I noticed in just listening to it, which I guess I, I mean, it's I'm sure it's obvious to you something you could appreciate is how uh, everything sounds really great. And you could tell. So this is just this is five, six guys all playing together right. in, in a room. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's uh, recorded uh, really great. I mean, to me, to my ears, I just think it, it's very in your face and very rock and roll. It's almost like a very rock and roll way to record uh, this type of music. Well, you think that up until like 1970, everyone pretty much got the same treatment, whether you're at the Budapest String Quartet or a gospel group or a rock band. And oh, okay. There, you went in, a, like when I lived in Los Angeles, then there were big spaces mostly, and you'd set up in the middle of them and all play together, and there was distance to the walls, and the engineers were adept at capturing the sound. And uh, most of the great records that we know from before 1970 were made that way. Right. And then they started putting everyone in their boxes and then the whole other thing happened. Uh, but yeah, this was still of that time, but they would go into great studios and with great engineers. And so most of the Blue Note and Impulse and Riverside and other jazz labels of that time, the recordings were pretty good. Now the, 
ESP disc and some of the labels made terrible sounding records, but it's the way it went. Right, right. <laughs> you know, there, there was a certain thing. It was like the more, if it was free jazz, it didn't get recorded like it would if it was something that was going to make money. Oh, okay, okay. So they would like, it was in and out fast and they didn't mic it properly. So a lot of the great artists that from that era didn't get recorded very well. Okay. But yeah. it's the way it goes. Yeah. I, I just, I, I want to mention the only other really true jazz record that I've done on the show in like five years, uh, we did On the Corner with uh, oh, Rich right. Gilbert. Yeah. A good guitar player, Rich Gilbert, uh, talked about On the Corner. And that was a very, yeah, you could tell like at some, some stuff, it sounds like someone just walked in the room and started, you know, recording them while they were already playing and things like that. But, uh, it's uh, it's uh, you know raw. It's it's it was much more raw and sort of in your face compared to something like this, which, as you said, it's still accessible. Uh, well, to at least to my ears. You know, on the corner was a lot of people playing together in a room, and they had things. So if you have think of it this way, if you have something like a tabla, okay, and that was the big part of on the corner. Now to put mics on a tabla and to get it balance so you can hear it what you're also doing is you're sucking up the drums right so the drums now sound far away so on the corner was recorded in columbia studios is a great place but there's only so much you can do as an engineer to get things focused when there's all kind of people playing at once very soft sounds and loud sounds the loud sounds are going to go into the soft sound microphones and it's going to sound like pea soup and that's how it goes. That's just how so it goes. A lot of those yeah. <laughs> uh, on the corner may suffer from that a little bit. Right, right. Um, <laughs> all right, so we end I end the records with uh, uh, covers, a couple of covers, which obviously is a, is a real jazz thing to do, right? But he definitely sort of, you know, makes them, he uses them, I guess he uses this song, like this one, a Prelude to a Kiss, which is a, uh, a Duke Ellington uh, uh, a ballad, but he sort of uses that as a framework to, to work off of, right? fit in to Duke Ellington's band when Duke Ellington wrote that. Oh, okay. So he's, he's got this deep, rich, personal tenor sax sound that people had their own sounds until a certain... Yeah, when you hit the 60s and a lot of people, it was either... Well, then people started imitating Charlie Parker or John Coltrane, and to this day, I don't know how many, you know, saxophone... There are some original players, but with sound, but mostly not. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> All right. Let's listen to his uh, prelude to a kiss. Oh, my God. 
I will say this one in particular, like on my drives, it would give me a very melancholy feel, you know. So he is he he, oh, yeah. he plays with emotion, a lot of emotion, and that all comes through. Well, think about this song was and still is to this day in certain circles, the standard you play if you if you got a gig at the Windsor Court, you know, playing piano or something, you play Prelude for a Kiss. If right. you're a lounge okay. singer, <laughs> etc. So what Archie Shep has done is take this and put it into a realm that is much more toward what Duke Ellington did originally, which was more darker and moodier and melancholy, like you said. Right. Uh, but, you know, it, it's funny how things switch up, you know, uh, like uh, some really songs that are popular songs can be very dark and disturbing and they can become, they turn into like, Right, 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 right. <laughs> so same thing with the jazz world. That same thing happens. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I should mention, I, I didn't, I, I, we should mention the other musicians on it because I, I, I just want to say that they're all uh, killing it on this whole record. I mean, they're all killing it. I mean, the drummer, uh, Joe Chambers, and you got um, Reggie yeah, Johnson yeah. on the bass, double bass, and Marion Brown, alto sax, and uh, yeah. Joseph Orange on trombone. But yeah, uh, Ted Curson on the on trumpet, and of course Archie Shep, uh, tenor saxophone mostly. But yeah, they're they're all killing it on this, right? Yeah, it's funny. I always thought for years I thought that was Beaver Harris on the drums, not Joe Chambers, and so, so I was always mixed up anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, it's great. You know, it's a great band and. Uh, you know, especially, you know, like the next tune's the same thing where they mess with, they mess with a standard that yeah. is is looked upon a certain way, and they turn it very much on its head. Oh, they do, and it's very. Um, but um, but this is something obviously that that I know. Even me, uh, the, uh, yeah. the girl from Ipanema, everyone knows uh, Brazilian uh, bossa nova. But most people are familiar with Stan Getz's uh, recording of it. Uh, and it, it was like an international hit but yeah he's definitely playful they get really playful with it right because they keep uh, revisiting the melody but they'll do it in uh, different keys and stuff and uh yeah it, it, and, yeah it's, it's as fun. good as the mike tyson version yeah <laughs> Okay. Well, let's take, uh, now I'm going to have to play a little bit of that also. When she passes, she has Thank you. 
Yeah, I like that. It's just really a playful sounding. You could hear him sort of, you know, maybe looking at giving him a glance and saying, all right, I'm going to come back in with it again. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, on this, I have no idea how they managed to get to that because, yeah, it's it's entirely a different vibe than any other version of that I ever heard. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even within the song itself, it, it changes yeah, a couple of different like, yeah, vibes. Yeah, and, yeah. and the bass player is not playing the changes. Therefore, in that song, you can sing it against different changes if you want. Not to get too technical, <laughs> but you know you can change you can change keys and and it doesn't sound bad. Right, right, right. right. Without you can change a key without the other people changing key. Right. That's what, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great, and it's it's really great to know that he's still doing it, man. He's in France and he's still doing gigs and playing. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, inspiring because obviously he's someone. Uh, Another one that's just you know he's he's there for this is this is him this the music and the poetry and the art and everything it's all of a piece and uh, it's good people like that should be uh, championed right and uh, and uh, talked oh, yeah. about yeah and uh, Mark so so Mark you I know music business is uh, foreign to you and bullshit but still uh, you know uh, uh, man's got to eat so is any <laughs> do you have anything you know anywhere you'd like to send anyone and. <laughs> And go like a website people can go to check out what's what's going on with you. You know, I have no manager, no agent, and no website. But nice. I do have twenty two <laughs> albums on Bandcamp. Oh, oh, okay, so, <laughs> so that's good. So if you, you go to go just, on go on Bandcamp and find me, and uh, there's literally twenty two records there, and I'm making more. That's great. And that's all not you need. That I expect. You know, once in a while, um, I have to eat. I still. There's a shiny happy people song, and they keep using it for all kind of stuff. And I was the uh, uh, leader on the session right. to the union, and man, every time they use that in some TV series or something, bam, you get paid again. Check. Get paid again. <laughs> That's awesome. So it, it's actually it's not enough to live off. No, no, but it's but, nice, right? <laughs> but counting my social security and my mus- musician union pension. It just about is. All right, good. So that's kind of weird, right? It is. But, no, it's uh, weird, so, but it's great. <laughs> I'm working. I keep working, but I, I, and I, I don't really know what else to do. I mean, I had a five-hour session today, so I'm still producing records. and. Okay, at Piety Street Recording. Yeah, but it doesn't say that anymore. That, okay, uh, okay. That website is down. It's just me. Uh, but the gear, and, but, um, but a lot of that gear, gear. Is, is still, yeah. wow, that's great. Yeah, and you. So I guess New Orleans. This is it. You and you like sort of went into New Orleans like sort of on a whim, and then you ended up being there like forever, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I just played three shows in Indiana. I played three shows in a row, two hour long shows, all different music. Oh, nice. Three three nights in a row. So I'm still kind of kicking it around. I don't know. I don't particularly like playing just regular gigs and clubs and stuff anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, sometimes. Same, it just same, Mark. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I don't. It gets I mean, old. Yeah, I mean, I've played, how many thousand shows have I played? You know, enough, probably. Right. right. And this one, I, I think I'm going to do one more interview in my life with Mike Watt again. Oh, so nice. I get him, so I can, well, well then, I, then I think I'd be right up there tied with somebody for the most time by the show. Oh, okay. You know, that's that's like a 
that's great. a bad joke. That's a bad joke. It is. Somehow. I'm gonna actually see him. I, I think I'm gonna go see him tomorrow night. He's playing with the Missing Men uh, tomorrow night oh, okay. uh, here in Los Angeles, and oh, that's good. Perubu is playing too, so I think I'm gonna actually wow. get my ass Perubu. out of uh, out of the house and go over and uh, see them. Wow, that sounds great. I mean, it I'd does, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I no, it really does. But um, yeah, uh, this was really great having you on, Mark. I really appreciate it. I appreciated the record you picked, and it's out of you know, like I said, it's out of uh, out of the usual uh, realm of, of what we do on here. But it's but it's great. It's all music, and it's great. And I really enjoyed. Had a good time listening to it all week. Like I said. But I still and my brain, but still, there's something about me uh, wrong with me. I, I I keep thinking maybe someday, maybe I'm, when I'm older, I'll just it'll just click and like all I'll listen to will be jazz, you know. But I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, there's there's a, some things like that for me. But just remember, no musician is good at every genre, and no listener really can be love every genre the same way no matter what i say right <laughs> exactly exactly all right but this was great mark thanks so much and uh, everyone thanks for listening don't forget uh you could follow me i still do some of the social stuff mark's not into all that but i, I still do it so if you want on instagram and facebook it's at that record got me high also that facebook group got me high on twitter it's at trgmh podcast you can email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com don't forget most importantly if you want to become a patron of the show and help support me i'm in los angeles ladies and gentlemen one of the most expensive so goddamn expensive here it's crazy uh you could become a patron of the show go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh i don't unfortunately i don't have the random checks coming in from rem once in a while so you know that's <laughs> every little helps but uh, Mark, oh yeah, and look for so look for the the Watt from Pedro show. Mike Watt has a great uh, radio. You got to call the radio show. If you call him a podcast, he gets mad at you because he doesn't like the podcast. He said it's a radio show, not a podcast. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I'll be looking forward to hearing that. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Mark. All right, thank you. All right, thank everyone. Uh, we'll see you next week. I'm Rob Elba. Rob.